Let's call this business meeting to order. So, all right, let's get started. Let's pray and then we'll dive in. Father, we thank you for tonight and this opportunity to fellowship together and study the word together. I pray that you'd bless the time we spend. I pray that it would be fruitful for our understanding and our growth and our comprehension of what the Bible teaches. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so by way of announcement, Sunday, assuming all emails go well, we will have a showing of the Pilgrim's Progress which is the animated series that's going to be coming to theater in April. This is a pre-showing, so it's not out yet. So we get to see it here. Um, I guess we're special. I don't exactly understand what the the promotional (laughs) principles are because you have to pay to see it later. Or you can come see it here for free, and there is a love offering that they would want us to take up. So maybe they're hoping they'll make more money that way. I have no idea. But it's pretty expensive to go to. So anyway, that's happening this coming Sunday. We will meet at 5, and then we'll get settled down, and we'll show the movie here on the big screen. And um, technically, we're not supposed to advertise that outside of our body because it's a pre-showing and not technically a outreach event but uh, here I'm telling everyone who's here whether you're technically part of the church or not so uh, come Sunday at 5 and we will watch the Pilgrim's Progress I haven't seen any of the clips myself but I'm told they're, they're looking pretty good so uh, animated version of the famous Pilgrim's Progress book if you haven't read it it is a very obvious allegory of the Christian life so the main character's name is Christian. Yeah, so it, it's a very direct allegory, and there's characters who are named for exactly what they are. So it's 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 pretty. I've read the children's version of the book. I actually, haven't actually read the the full grown one. So um, the children's version was excellent. I'm assuming the full grown one is better, and this is uh, the animated version of that. So that'll happen Sunday. Um, I think that's the only announcement I got. BSU lunch was today. That went well. And Easter is fast approaching. I think it's the 21st this year, which is kind of late, actually, for Easter. So uh, isn't that late? feels late to me. So 21st is coming up. Um, I think that's all I've got for announcements. So let's dive in. We're starting a new series tonight. So let me give you the rundown. You were kind of the, kind of the guinea pig group. Um, we are writing a curriculum for all of our members to go through, a basic Bible doctrines um, curriculum. And this is me trying to write it. And so as this goes well or goes poorly, I'll edit the content towards its final form. So what we're doing actually is walking through our statement of faith as a church. So we have four doctrines that we put in what's called our foundational beliefs. And these are ones you have to agree with to be a member of our church. But really, you should agree with all four of these if you call yourself Christian. Then we have a second category of beliefs called our identifying beliefs. These are the beliefs that make us the kind of church we are. So we're a Baptist church. We baptize adults, not babies. We have a congregational polity. We're led by elders. There's things like this that all go into that category. So we're going to systematically walk through first the foundational beliefs and then the different pieces that make us a particular type of church. So every church, whether they claim to be a denomination or not, have beliefs that categorize them according to certain denominational standards. So we're going to walk through what we believe about those things. So we're starting with the basics. And so what we're covering tonight is agreed upon by everyone who knows what they're talking about and is Christian. Okay? So if you disagree with the basic outline, maybe not some of the details of how I explain this, but if you disagree with the basic principles tonight, you're in a different camp. So this is bedrock... Christianity, and we're going to get, uh, we're Church of the Square, so we're going to do it in a very nerdy way. It's just the only way we know how. So we're going to dive in and discuss Trinitarian monotheism. Now that is a mouthful, um, but basically we believe in the Trinity and we believe in one God. But that can be very particular, very precise in what exactly that means. So we're going to look at it first in terms of what is monotheism, and second, what does it mean to believe in Trinity. Now, one more note of disclaimer as we go in. This is what we call systematic theology. So we're not going to be studying a passage of Scripture that teaches a truth. We're going to be studying a truth that the Bible teaches. So we're looking at the whole story, the whole teaching of Scripture, the entire revelation from beginning 
to end. This is how it's all put together. And when we talk about the Trinity, this is what the church has seen for 2,000 years. This has been agreed upon, or we consider you a cult. If you don't agree with these bedrock basic things we're going to be going through, particularly tonight, um, the Trinity and monotheism. <coughs> so let's just uh, dive right into the topic. If I write monotheism on the board, do you see that that is two words put together? You see the two words? Mono meaning one, one. and theism meaning God. Really, we would say ism, it's belief in. So belief in God. Have you heard of other theisms? So we can say poly. Pantheism. Pan. What's pantheism? Everything. Everything is God. Then there's a version of that that's slightly different. Pan in theism. Any idea how that's different? God is in everything. He's not necessarily everything. He's just kind of in it somehow. Um, other theisms. Atheism. Atheism. A in Greek is kind of their version of un. So atheism, atheism. Um, I can think of one, but we have to alter it slightly. It's not the th. But there's d, deism. And what's that the belief in? Right, that's how it's typically explained, and we'll unpack that a little bit differently in a minute, but that's a that's sufficient for a basic idea. So we're going to understand and seek to work out what exactly we mean when we say monotheism. Okay? So first blank here, the concept of monotheism is chiefly about the definition of God. definition of God, not how many gods there are. It, of course, doesn't tell how many, but the main idea is not how many. It's the actual definition itself. Our definition of God is what makes God one and only. Not that we believe that there happens to be only one God. Our definition is going to require it. So we're going to put three pieces together um, that we can see all over Scripture um, that make monotheism monotheism. So we'll look at several <coughs> scriptures in a few minutes. You'll see under their biblical foundations. And that's just a small handful of hundreds of texts that will say what we're trying to show tonight. So I'm going to number one, two, and three because we're going to work at it like that. So number one, God is the absolute being. absolute being. So I'm going to, as best I can, avoid the super technical terms in theology for this. They almost always come from the Latin language, and we just don't use a lot of Latin anymore, except in a few few scenarios. So I'm going to say absolute being. So what's the word absolute mean? Any, any ideas? End all be all. End all be all. I can work with that, but can we elaborate on that? Final? That's not bad either. Complete? Purist? Yeah? There seems to be a superlative nature to what we're saying. You know what superlatives are in English, right? Anybody that nerdy? So a comparative would be your better. The superlative would be your best, right? So the idea is in a lot of ways there's there's a single thing at the top that is the best and perfect representation of that. So is there anything gooder than God? Right? Is there anything stronger? Is there anything smarter, wiser, more knowing? See how this works? All right, so God stands in a category all by himself by definition. Can you have two things that are the best? No. Are you going to have one thing that is the best. That's what we mean. The, the formal term, for those of you who care, is aseity. And that means God comes from himself. 
He can't come from other things. He's absolute on his own. He doesn't need us. He's not dependent upon us. He's not derivative. He's not the summation. He is his own thing, no matter how you look at it. He's an absolute being. If the world did not exist, God would still exist. God is his own thing. He's an absolute being. So if you think about like the Apostles' Creed, we believe in um, God the Almighty. He's the Almighty. Um, the most powerful is how we could translate that Greek expression. He is the pinnacle of our concept of greatness. This is God, and by definition, that stands by itself. Second, God is creator. There's a sense in which in the Bible, those two are really just different ways of saying the same thing. Um, we're going to spread them out just for the sake of clarity. But when the Bible says God is all-powerful, it virtually always means in terms of his power to create. So if you think about Romans 1, 19 and 20, so all um, people are without excuse. They've suppressed the truth because God has revealed to them two of his attributes. Do you remember what the two attributes are in Romans chapter 1, 19 and 20? His eternal power and divine nature. Well, eternal power is creatorness. Divine nature is the absolute being side of this. These are the two things. If you just look at creation, it implies creator. Therefore, it implies absolute being. If you think about it, every argument for God is designed to prove that there's something else. All right, so have you ever heard of the intelligent design argument? Now, what's the idea of the argument from intelligent design? <clears throat> I'm going to give it to me in a 30-second nutshell. Chaos doesn't produce the kind of order we see. Uh, everything about the verbal creation, the laws of nature imply intelligence. Right, so design implies intelligence, which means something else. So design implies intelligence. All right, what about the cosmological argument? Have you ever heard of that one? So that is the idea of, well, anything that is came from somewhere, so something made it. So A caused B caused C. So you take that back. If you never have a beginning, then you break that system. If everything has a cause, and you go back to the cause before that cause, the cause before that cause, the cause before that cause, the only way everything can have a cause is if at least one thing does not. Does that make sense? That's the cosmological argument. Here's the cause. I mean, here's the effect. There has to be a cause. All of the arguments of God are designed to say this in one way or another. I'm not going to try to explain the ontological argument because that one confuses me. I have to think about it every time we go through it. There's, um, the, there's the moral argument, the idea that within us there is this default moral, we could even call it the image of God. In creation, there's something beyond creation at work. No matter how we look at it, all of these arguments are designed to say that there is a creator, we can see in his work that he's something greater. So there's eternal power and divine nature. But that's not all we're saying with monotheism. We're saying one more thing, and this usually gets left off, and that is that God reveals himself. I'm going to say revelation. So when I say God reveals himself, can you all give me the most obvious example? The Bible, exactly. The Bible is the most obvious example of that. The second most obvious example of Revelation is what? I was going to say creation. Jesus is the perfect, I mean, Jesus is special revelation, so I'm going to give you that one. I'll give you a pass on that one, Tim. Because technically he's both. So, all right, so he reveals. Do what? <laughs> uh, you're going to get a B in this class, I can tell already. <laughs> Okay, so before we go into the um, biblical examples there, I want to think about the different theisms as they relate to these three pieces. So if you've been here long enough, you've seen my two-circle thing. I say my two-circle, I didn't invent this, I just use it a lot. So there is creator, and there is creation. So from a monotheistic worldview, the
Those are the only two things that exist. Period. Nothing else exists unless it falls into one of those two categories. So where are you? Creation. Creation. Where's heaven? Creation. Creation. Where's angels? Creation. Where's Satan? Creation. It's all creation. There's God and there is creation. That is what we mean by monotheism. The only other option, okay, is one circle, okay? That is the only other option. So where would you put atheism? It has to be here, right? Because we're denying that there's another circle. Atheism, we could say materialism. That's the modern scientific worldview could be called that. Where would you put polytheism? Is that one tricky? Do do you want to say there's multiple circles up here? That's not polytheism. In polytheism, do you have number one? No. You don't have an absolute being. You don't have a creator being. You can have a little g, one of many creators. Really, they're just pinnacles maybe. They're high points at best on the one thing. Think about every version of polytheism that exists. That God is a representation of some creaturely thing, right? So what is Aphrodite? What these are. They're really deifications of something here. All right? What about deism? What is deism? Deism was the belief that God created it, he wound up the clock, he set it in motion, and he walks away. There's no revelation there. There's no revelation here. Is there really any difference between deism and atheism. Does God speak? Is he present here? There's no functional difference between deism and atheism. All right, another one we can throw up here. Where's the agnostic worldview go? You know what that means, agnostic? I don't know, or or really formally, if you're you're an educated agnostic, because there is a difference between an atheist and an agnostic, and people who are actually atheist and actually agnostic. So there's Facebook versions, and then there's the I've, I've read my stuff versions. Does, does that make sense? So let's talk about the I've read my stuff versions. Atheism says there can't be something else. Agnosticism says if there was, we couldn't know. Technically, agnosticism is a form of atheism. So usually in conversation, the way we say is, no one's truly an atheist. At best, they're agnostic. I'm really saying the reverse here, that anyone who claims to be agnostic, functionally speaking, is actually an atheist because they don't have but one circle. And they're denying maybe they've got this idea. That, I mean, they're hypothetically. could be a circle there. Is that going to benefit them at all? Now, they have an atheistic worldview. Well, atheists would say there is no possible circle. Right. Which intellectually falls apart because you have to search beyond the farthest. Well, certainly, I would say so, yes. Atheism is theoretically impossible. You have to be be God to have the kind of knowledge that atheism requires. Which is why a lot of your academic atheists are that agnostic version of atheism. But functionally, it's the same thing. It's just this is atheism, and this is monotheism. And what I'm arguing, and Christianity has actually argued this for a long time, it's not my idea, is these are actually the only two worldviews available to you. You can believe in what we're going to call Trinitarian monotheism, or you can be a flavor of atheist. Every worldview out there that's not Christianity is just an outworking or a different <coughs> manifestation of an atheistic worldview. That's the biblical argument, and words, that's what I'm going to uphold tonight. All right, so let's just think about some biblical examples of this. We won't turn to all of these. What does God do in Genesis 1-1? Creates everything, heavens and the earth, the whole thing. So God created everything. All right, Um, anybody know Exodus 23 without looking it up? 
You can probably guess. There's one God. This is number one in the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. God alone is God. We talked about that on Sunday. That wasn't that you need to put God first in your life. That's not what the Bible teaches. Because what God are you allowed to put second? <laughs> Zero. Not, nothing. No gods before me as in my presence. No gods at all. God alone is God. In Deuteronomy 6, you probably know this one, but let's look at it anyway. Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's called the Shema. You ever heard of the Shema? Jesus quotes this one in the New Testament. Deuteronomy 6, 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, and that's all caps, so Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. God is one. So that's going to be significant in another arena in just a second. So if I was going to divide God up into pieces, what pieces could I divide him up into? Okay, I'm going to pass on the Trinity conversation just yet. Is there anything you can divide God into? Well, he's part this, he's part that, he's part something else. No, there's no parts. So in theology, I don't have this as a blank, but God is called simple. That's what that means. He's not made of pieces put together. A simple structure is a structure composed of one thing. So what is God made of? God. God, exactly. So God is one. He's also only because he's the absolute being. He is one God and he is one. Now we're going to affect that a lot heavier when we get to the Trinity. So we'll get there, Jim. All right, so let's see. Isaiah 46, 9. You'll see this lingo, and I'm just identifying a handful of passages. If you read through the prophets, you read through um, Exodus, Yahweh is not trying to say that he's the best God. He's trying to show us that he is the only one, that there is only one God, and it is him. That looks like the wrong verse. Oh, you got it. I'm in 49.6, so that's why. (laughs) Well, Abby got it from somewhere. Okay. There it is. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. We sing songs about that. There is no one like our God. There's old songs and new songs with that exact same message. There is no one like our God. He alone is God. All right, so 1 Corinthians 8, 6, getting to the New Testament. The New Testament does not in any way back down on this principle that we worship one God, one God and one God alone. 1 Corinthians 8, 6. Is it 6? Yeah, I guess it's more in one spot, actually. Verse 6 says, yet for us... There is one God, the Father, from whom all things are all things and for whom we exist. And then one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom we are all and through whom we exist. Same idea. And then Romans, we already talked about the Romans fast, so we'll move on from that one. The Trinity is going to take a few minutes. So it's about to get heavy. So uh, dial in. <laughs> okay, y'all ready for the Trinity? Everybody understand monotheism now? How many gods are there? One. And how many worldviews are there? Two. There's either our version or a version of atheism. So I missed a pretty good section there, but James will explain it to you when we're done. So. All right, Jim. I didn't understand what I was supposed to put in there in the blank. Oh, I'm sorry, sorry. Did I? Yeah, I get ahead of myself sometimes, guys. I apologize for that. What was the last blank I filled in? We all exist and have our blank. Be, being through one God. And then creation itself is an act of self-revelation. So God speaks. Okay, so that's how we're defining monotheism. He's the absolute being, he's creator, and he's revelation. You have to have all three of these pieces, or it's not monotheism. It's a version of atheism. This is monotheism. All right. 
So, Trinity. So I'm going to say with confidence, I'm going to give you, with absolute clarity, a definition of the Trinity tonight. Okay? I will be able to give it to you directly and clearly. But I want to make sure you understand what I just said and what I did not just say. I'm not going to give you a clear how for the Trinity. I'm going to give you a very clear and precise what. Does that make sense? There's not gray area in the what. The gray area is in the how. Y'all follow? That'll make a little more sense, I think, as we go. But you'll be able to leave here tonight and say, this is what we mean when we say Trinity. This is the idea. So let's prepare ourselves. So somebody... Anybody want to just venture a rough definition to start us off? And we'll unpack from there. What's the Trinity? One God, three persons. One God, three persons. And as far as simplicity goes, that's a pretty good, simple answer. Okay? Here's how I want us to think about it. We say things like one times one times one equals, you know, the, we, we try to do the three and one thing in different ways. No matter how you look at the Trinity, the single most important thing you need to see is that we worship only one God. There's only one being. There's no sense we can look at the Trinity as anything other than we worship one and only one God. It's not he's kind of one and he's kind of three. He's one. There's only one God, period. So when we say he's three, we mean something very different than how many he is. You follow me yet? Is that confusing? It will be in a minute, okay? So, all right, number one, the Trinity, the most important thing is there's only one God. And no matter how you look at it, there is only one divine being. So, I draw the circles. If we're talking about God, how many circles are there? One. One. What part of that circle is God? The whole thing. What part of that circle is eternal? What part of that circle is all-knowing? All-powerful. Omnipresent. Eternal. Infinite. Fill in the blank. Good, holy, just. What part of God is that? The whole thing. And so, I can say with absolute certainty that Jesus and the Father are the exact same being. They're not two different beings. There is one and only one God. So the part of Jesus, and I have to use that lingo carefully, the part of Jesus that eternal is the same thing in the Father that is eternal. So when Jesus says, I am God, he's not saying, I am also God. That would be very different. If Jesus was also God, what would we have? We'd have two gods. So godness is not a category that Jesus fits in and a category that the Father also fits in. There's literally one being, God. Jesus and the Father are the same circle. What about the Holy Spirit? Same circle. So let's ask the question differently then. So we know there's only one God. There's only one circle. No matter how we look at it, there's only one divine being. So is the Father the same completely in every sense as the Son, or is there something unique that each of these are or possess? Okay. Well, what's something about the Father? Is there anything about the Father you can say that's true of the Father, but is not true of the Son? The Father doesn't have a body, an earthly body. Okay. Authority? Okay. Ooh, ooh. Okay, okay, okay. We just got two different answers that are... I have to back up and give some caveats, okay? So, when we talk about the Trinity... 
there are actually two distinct ways we can talk about the Trinity. We can talk about what God does as a Trinity and what God <laughs> is as the Trinity. Okay? So I'm going to exclusively limit this question to the what God is side, not the what God does side. Because only one of them died on the cross. Only one of them indwells believers. Only one of them is the architect, the one who adopts as children into his household. But those are all things that God does. Let's talk about just what he is, who he is. Is there anything I can say about the Father that I cannot say about the Son, or about the Son that I cannot say about the Father? So even the incarnation ultimately is going to be an act, okay? Something he does. So before incarnation, before he does anything, of course, that's a, it's hard to talk about time when we're talking about God. I, I'll give you that gray area. But just in himself, can I say anything about the Father that I can't say about the Son? On a mission. Okay, so omniscience is part of the divine being. So to be divine, omniscience has to be part of all three. Okay, now I know why this... I, we always go, whoa, 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 but there's things the sun doesn't know, right? Okay. Let, let, let's for a second. The circle has a bump on it, okay? <laughs> this bump is human, and it's flesh. And we call it Jesus, okay? This, it gets, okay, this is where there's gray. I'm not explaining how. I'm just explaining what is, okay? Jesus is just part of the big circle. Not part. He's the big circle. The flesh Jesus is not. The flesh of Jesus is not divine. But Jesus is divine. That's complicated. So when Jesus died on the cross... Did God die on the cross? No, God can't die. No, absolutely not. But this did. And so this piece, are humans omniscient? No. No, no, obviously not. Jesus doesn't know everything. But Jesus knows everything. Okay? How does that work? Excellent question. We can ask one day. But that's what <laughs> is. Okay? That, that's the definitions. So, all right, Jesus as the flesh, is not omniscient. But we're talking about in the circle. The flesh, the body, the incarnation is not in the circle. Is there anything I can say about the Father I can't say about the Son? Is the authority. In their authority. He's the Father figure, the authority figure. He's the head of the... Head. I like head more than authority, even though those words are borderline synonymous. Head. Okay, I'm gonna put that on the on the board. Head. Look, can we unpack that at all? Do you feel stumped yet? This is where we, we're in the weeds, guys, right now. So, well, this is, if you feel like, what are we even talking about? Do I? The sun sets on the right side, I think. That's also outside. That's what he does. That's oh, not what okay. he is. All right. Okay, so. To have a proper understanding of the Trinity is to have a definition of what makes each of these unique that is not true of the other two. Okay, That's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you the formal, actual definition, and it's going to be a lot more disappointing than you hope or than you expect. Okay, The definition, because which of them is omnipotent? All three, because they're the same omnipotent being. Which one of them is omniscient? All three, they're the same omnipotent being or omniscient being. So I'm going to put Father, Son, and Spirit in here. Okay? And I'm just going to have to ask you to forgive. By putting a circle on the board, we've technically already committed heresy. Right? Because God's not a circle. Okay? So I'm already asking you to work with the illustration as best you can. And the Father is not in that quadrant of the circle. How much of the circle is the Father? The whole circle. Okay? So just... Bear with our spatial limitations, and the whole circle's God. The whole circle's the Father. I'm going to put the, well, you know what, we put Jesus over there. Let's well, just for the sake of consistency. I just messed up your paper. I'm sorry. I'm going to put the Son on that side, and I'm going to put the Holy Spirit here. But, 
Yeah, you gotta move your bubble. Put your bubble where the sun is. Even though, where's the sun in the circle? He's everywhere. He's everything in the whole circle. Where's the Father in the circle? He's everything in the whole circle. And where's the Holy Spirit in the circle? He's everything in the whole circle. In fact, the circle, there's not even a circle, right? Because God is not confined to a circle. But you're with me on that, okay? So, here is the definition of God the Father. He begot the Son. What does it mean to beget the Son? We have no idea. He just comes from the Father. Jesus comes from the Father. What's he called? The only begotten. He is the one who is begotten. So to be the Son means to be begotten. Jesus, the Father beget you, and I'll give you the formal fill in the blanks in just a second. So, because uh, there's different words you could use. And the Spirit, we don't say he's begotten, he's spirated. What's that mean? Breathe. Good question. <laughs> Breathe, literally. If you look up the word spirated, you'll see in like a Webster's Dictionary, maybe an Oxford's Dictionary, you'll get one, a side note that this word is obsolete. Two, in theology, it's the possession that the Spirit has in the Holy Trinity. It's the attribute that he possesses that the other two do not. The Spirit has been spirated, but the Father hasn't been, and the Son hasn't been. Only the Spirit has been spirated. But furthermore, the Son also spirates. But he doesn't spirate the Father. He spirates the Holy Spirit. Now with me there? So... All of them can be defined by two relationships. So the Father, then, is the one who spirates the Holy Spirit and the one who begets the Son. Those are his two relationships. The Son is the one who spirates the Holy Spirit but was begotten by the Father. And then the Holy Spirit is the one who was spirated in two directions. <clears throat> And guys, that is the doctrine of the Trinity. Okay? And everybody's going, what? This is the only thing in the circle that's different among them. Okay? And these definitions, so they're relationships. So there are three relationships, and that should be within. There are three relationships within the one God. And that's all that the Father has that's different than the other two. There's nothing else, period, that can be ascribed to any of them other than those statements. Okay? Everything else is what the Trinity does. No question. All right. Is the, is the spirating not a doing then? <laughs> it's not considered a doing. Now, this is gray area. So this is the how. How does this work? Church history is mute. Every time someone tries to answer this question, they end up getting booted off the team. Okay? I mean, if you want to be a heretic, I'll give you a formula. Write a book on how this works. So that's the go-to place for militant atheists. Because nobody can really answer it. Yeah, you can. And we'll just own that. We're describing God here. We're not explaining God here. We're describing him. There's a big difference. That's the best we can do, but think about it. Do you think we would ever be able to exhaustively explain who God is? No. no. We recognize right out of the gate that that shouldn't be possible, and our doctrine of the Trinity is admitting that right out of the gate. We can't explain how this works. We're just defining what it is. So we can move out from that, and so that's what God is on the inside. Well, that informs how God interacts. So Ted wanted to use the word head or authority. Well, at the very least, we can use the word order. Well, who does the most sending or the most outwarding? God. The Father does. Well, who does the next most? The Son does. Who does the least? Or none, technically. The Holy Spirit. So first person, second person, third person. We see this in everything God does. God the Father is seen as the architect. Who sent the Son? 
the Father did. Well, who sent the Spirit in the Bible? Both of them do. You see, everything in what God does mirrors who God is. So it's not going to be the Father that dies on the cross. He's going to send the Son to do that. And the Son is going to send, and the Father with him, send the Spirit to work in us. Everything that the Trinity does happens in relation to what God is on the inside. Okay, so anybody know binary, like how to count in binary? This is either going to be very useful to you or very confusing to you. So if you start getting confused, ignore me for two minutes. If you're following me, then dive in. Okay? Y'all with me? So this is only for those of you who know binary. I'm going to define the trinity. All right, so what's the first, not counting zero, how do you write one in binary? One. 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 How do you write two? Zero, one. 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 Zero. One. Zero. One. Zero. And then how do you write three? One. 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 Okay? Now for the sake of clarity, I'm going to put a zero here. Works the same way in normal math, right? You can put a zero in front of any number just to, to show how it works. Okay? So... I gotta get this right, because this is gonna confuse me too. Okay. It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I call this spiration. I call this beginning. I don't even think I spelled that right. What's the Father do? He does both. What's the Son do? He only does one of them. What's the Holy Spirit? I messed that up, didn't I? Yeah. You know, on pa- I did this on paper before I came out here, guys, and it looked so cool. And now I'm sitting here going, I totally screwed up, and I don't remember how I did this. Right. I would have mentioned you just reversed Son and Holy Spirit. But the Son spirited, that's right. and the Holy Spirit did not. So that seems yeah, right. Yeah, that's correct. All right, this one, yeah. So this, maybe I had to what they do, not what they were. Yeah, but zero, zero on the top. Yeah, but that's not how it worked out on my I'm going to go home, I'm going to lose sleep over this, guys. That. I mean, that's true, but it worked. It was one, two, three before. There's not a three in the circle. So is zero zero the first binary character? Well, it's zero. But you added a zero. Okay. Yeah, well, I added a zero to make the inspiration. So you went one, two, three. You yeah, should go zero, zero, zero one, two. One. That's where it fell yeah. apart. One, one. I wrote it down in my office. I'm going to. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna create a Facebook account tonight just to get on. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Don't do churches this way. Hey, kudos to all those folks who chose to ignore this from the beginning. <laughs> I think I did the order of them wrong. Yeah, if it makes you feel any better, I'm not any less confused. Put zero, one, one, one. And I over at work. Oh, yes. No, zero, yeah. Yeah, go zero zero. Well, zero, it has to be zero zero there, and one one here. I think I just did it wrong when I was working it out. I apologize, guys. I think I just messed that up. I did, yeah, yeah. There you go. Oh well. <laughs> Either way, the definition is the Father sins and spirits. The Holy Spirit does neither, and the Son receives one and does the other. That's the difference between them. So I'm pretty sure that this is what the Orthodox Church and the Catholic Church split about. One of the big things. Is that true? Yes. This. What? That's the Orthodox Church. Right there. So. They, they don't believe in the Trinity. I would argue not. So. I mean, I, I know the passage. Where, Our creed is different. Yeah, Jesus, Jesus says, "Wait in Jerusalem, by send the Spirit. The Spirit will come and testify of me. It's better if I leave, so that He can come." So He obviously sends the Spirit to the church. Yeah. I, How do you disagree? With that? Yeah. So I would say that's Trinity, and that's close. 
but it's not right. And the church, this was the first, first well, part of the first high-level church split in church history was this question. So, yeah, good, good segue, Tim. There you go. Philoquy clause. Latin philoquy just means sonness. You know, did the, the, the son also spirit the Holy Spirit? So, all right. Let's fill in the blanks then. So, the Father begets and spirits. The Son is begotten and spirits. And the Holy Spirit is spirated. Does that make sense? You with me? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily in terms of how, but that's the what. So you can, with absolute confidence now, define the Trinity on the inside. So can, we have, can you give us another a synonym for spirit? Pro, proceeds. Proceeds. That, that's what you see in a lot of, a lot of things, proceeds. Pro, proceeds and sins is common. So sin, the Father sends the Son... And then he, the, the Spirit proceeds from the Father. Those are just synonyms. That, that's the idea. Spirit and Pratt means like the same thing as uh, begets. Yeah. So, like, formally in Latin, because almost all church terms have a formal Latin definition, the thing the Son does is called filiation. And that is literally just the Latin word for sonness. Sonness. He's sunned. From the Father. And the Spirit is spirited from the Father. That, that's just how we're saying it. This is So in church history, this has always been held up as a mystery. But this has been the definition. Okay. So the most common term for these relationships is person. So we would usually say not that there are three relationships in the Trinity, but rather that there were three persons in the Trinity. We also get into trouble even with that. So let me give you the two pitfalls that can go wrong when you work out the Trinity. And then we will just about be done. We'll look at a couple scriptures to show it. But but the Trinity is in the middle. And then we have a spectrum. So you can, you want to peg it here, but you can also kind of tilt that way or tilt this way. This side is going to be tritheism. This side is called modalism. What do you think goes wrong in tritheism? You you divide the three persons of the Trinity so much that they become different entities. They become different beings. That's the key idea. Unfortunately, when we're arguing with modalists, Trinitarians have a tendency to go too far and sound very tritheistic. So I'm going to try to help you center your position. So we don't believe in three different beings. So it's a lot of times we think about what the Father and the Son were talking about in the garden. Um, just before Jesus was crucified, what's the Son pray to the Father? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. Well, how many wills are in God? One. Just one. Because that's not part of what makes the three relationships different. There's only one will. So how can the son have a different will than the father? Because he's flesh. Perfect. Yes, he's incarnated. That's why. But he still aligns it perfectly to the father. Um, even when he, he doesn't want to, but he does anyway. So that's, um, there's a formula, there's a whole heresy based on not believing that. But that's, so tritheism is wrong. Modalism is saying there's no difference. Or in other words, the differences are really only from our perspective. But are the differences only from our perspective? No, we're saying that those differences are actually in God, those relationships are inside of God himself. And so, modalism is a way of denying that there's actually those relationships. But we say, no, that's the bedrock core. of Everything God does, he does it in terms of those relationships. 
Tritheism says those are different people, and they're all God. And we're saying, no, there's just the one God, period, with those relationships. Because of that, God does it the way we see it in Scripture. So that is Trinitarian theology. So if we think about the Bible, and we think about examples of the Trinity, of course, the most single most famous example of the Trinity is the baptism of Jesus. And so Jesus in the flesh, the Son, is dumped in the water, full immersion, and he comes back up, and then the Father speaks, and what does he say? This is my Son in whom I am well pleased, and then what does the Spirit do in the passage? Descends down as a dove. Another famous passage that contains the Trinity is the Great Commission. He says, go into the nations, baptizing them half. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. My favorite Trinitarian passage in the New Testament is actually Ephesians chapter 1. A lot of people don't catch it if you're just reading through and you're not paying a lot of attention. Ephesians chapter 1 has a Trinitarian doxology. Doxology is the fancy term for just a <coughs> praise chorus of, of sorts. And it praises God the Father, and then it praises God the Son, and then it praises God the Spirit. All in, in Greek, it's one sentence. In English, it's like 12. But in, in Greek, it's Paul, just one long run-on thought. God the Father predestines and adopts. God the Son sacrifices himself, his blood, for the forgiveness of our trespasses. And the Son um, seals us for the day of redemption. You see, all three things. All of those are what the Trinity does, not what it is. But it does it that way, and in that order... Because of what God is. You follow that? Um, then, oh, another good one. And So when you think about spiritual gifts, turn to 1 Corinthians 12. And that's Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. Correct. Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 is the Trinitarian doxology. And every section ends with to the praise of the glory of God. So you know you're in the next section when you see that expression. All right, so 1 Corinthians 12. Okay, all right. 1 Corinthians 12, and we're going to pick up in verse 4. So the topic here is spiritual gifts. When you think of spiritual gifts, which member of the Trinity do you think about most readily? Holy Spirit, right? I want you to see all three are mentioned here. So verse 4, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord, now in the New Testament, Old Testament Lord, lower capital letters, is always Yahweh. New Testament Lord, almost exclusively a reference to Jesus. Because who is it that we proclaim as Lord in salvation? Jesus is Lord. So now we have there's a variety of gifts with the same spirit, a variety of service but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities but the same God who empowers them all. The one God is doing all of these things. Sure, we think about the spirit, as having the chief primary role in that. But anytime any member of the Trinity is doing something, how much of God is doing it? All of God is present. Anytime God is present at all. So that's why Jesus can say, the Father and I are one. That's what they are. They are truly only one God. Then there's several other passages. Um, 2 Corinthians 13, 14. You can note that one down. But if you Google Trinitarian passages you'll see that this is all over Scripture. This is not us just making up something that's not there. It is everywhere once you see it. There's a few passages that declare um, that the Spirit is God. Obviously, all of them declare that the Father is God, and Jesus spent his ministry demonstrating that he was God. And we have put all this together in theology, and we've reached the conclusion that there's only one God, yet somehow within him they have relationships with one another that manifest in the ways they do ministry with us. That's the Trinity, and that's monotheism. And it's two tails, so any questions? All right, Tim, okay. lay it on. I'm not trying to explain this, John. <laughs> I just want you to explain it, because I think you'll be able to explain better than last. Okay, so let's talk about the crucifixion, wrath of God. You know where I'm going with this. Okay. Help me out. <laughs> so, I, I think I need a slightly more precise question. Yeah. So, when God... So when Christ is on the cross and he takes the wrath of God upon himself, 
then based upon this conversation, is is it the is it the bump part of Jesus or is it the eternal part of Jesus in the same eternal one God is pouring out wrath on the you know what I'm saying? I know where you're going. So there's a lot of gray area here, and I can't give you a perfectly good answer because there's not one. So there's the sacrifice of Christ had to be human, but it also had to be God to be sufficient. And so it's the answer is yes on both sides, but it is, we could say it's his own wrath. Uh, but in terms of the Trinity outward, what it does, we think about that exclusively in terms of a work of the Father, even though if we're going to dial it back and peel behind the curtain, it's the one God doing it all. But we, we can't always look behind the curtain. You know, and even when we look behind the curtain, this is the best we can do. Our vision's not any sharper than that. And so we can say, yeah, God the Father is pouring out wrath on God the Son and God the Son incarnated. But at the same time, God, God the Son it is his wrath. And it, he shares that wrath. And that's why I think in the garden he's praying for it to pass because on the omniscient side of him, he knows exactly what's coming. He's scared of his own wrath. And, you know, it, it, rightly so, it's intimidating. But it's we see both characters of him there. And if you go read Hebrews with this in mind, you'll see, you'll see this Christology in Hebrews very clearly because Jesus was made lower than the angels. It's like, yeah. well, how? You know, well, in incarnation. He, he's not actually at any point not God, but he's come down and humbled himself. You see Hebrews just throwing back and forth seamlessly divinity and flesh with with no qualm, but they're not the same thing, but they're there in the one person. We're, Another okay. question, Paul. Yeah. So then when Jesus says, into your hands I commit my spirit, body dies, God is no less of what he always has been. Uh-huh. I mean, he never is, right? Even after when Jesus died. Okay, so let's go back to God. All the Trinity is there. Yeah. God, Father, Son, and the, the, the bump is the flesh. Okay? But a human being is two things. Does Jesus have a, does Jesus have a human spirit? Yes. yes. Otherwise, he's not human. So you're saying it like smallest spirit. Yeah. So the body died, and into your hands I commit my spirit. I mean, where was Jesus' body for the three days he was dead? It was laid on a tomb. It was here. But we say Jesus went places, right? Well, in spirit and in divinity, but in spirit. So the body was here. Jesus' human body is human. It's completely human. Human in every sense other than sin. Okay, so when he comes back alive... I'm sorry. Yeah, go for it. This this is back alive. It's it's not just that human spirit now. What do you mean? So the resurrection. Okay. Talking resurrection. So resurrection, he comes out. He's more than just the monk right there, isn't he? Because now he's no longer inhibited. His body's different, right? Well, it's different in the same way it will be different. Glorified body. The flesh of Jesus is never in the circle. And to this day, Jesus has flesh. Jesus right now is a human being. He's also God. <laughs> but he is a human being. And so this part of Jesus is, uh, is not omnipresent. This part is. Okay? So it's Jesus everywhere, yes. But I don't mean his body's everywhere. His body's in a very specific place somewhere in heaven right now. And it will bodily come back one day. That's basic Christian theology. And that body is the same kind of body we get for all of eternity. So not the fleshly body, but the same way you're saying the glorified body. You lost me when you said he's not... Okay, so when Jesus rose from the dead, what was in the tomb afterwards? Nothing. What was he, where did the spirit go then after the resurrection? Back into the body. It got upgraded though. We call that the glorified body. But it's literally still a human body. 
It's just better than this one. You can't get sick, no, can't like die. When Peter saw him and said, touch my palm, that was the glorified body. Yes. But, he but the glorified the body. body is the old body, upgraded. Okay. It's the same body. I saw the dead in Christ rise. It, it literally, we, that's why historically Christians bury, because we're going to use that body again. So it raises up, spirit comes back in. Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection. We'll do exactly the same thing. We'll never be God, though, but he will forever be human and God. He's both at the same time. And part of Christian doctrine is explicitly that those do not mingle. He's not some new hybrid of the two. He is two different natures. He's God and man at the same time. And somehow one person while he's doing that. But they're not the same. They don't overlap at all. Even after the resurrection. resurrection. So everything you see Jesus doing after the resurrection, he's still in a human body. Glorified body. But he's also God. If he wants to make that body disappear and show up somewhere else, he's God. He can do that. You know, he can do that to you right now. Like, that's not outside of his wheelhouse. But he's not doing that because it's a glorified body. He's doing that because he's God. So like God, the road to Emmaus, et cetera. Yes. There's a human being that is also God walking with those two guys. These are great questions. Huh? We're going to understand one day. One day. One day you'll get to see it, you know, and it'll all make sense from God's perspective. And it'll be nice. And we'll go, oh, that's what you meant. Yeah, there'll be a lot of that going on in heaven, I believe. So, But this is the best we can do now. <laughs> so. What did you mean by his body is in heaven now, currently? Okay, so I guess the most important piece of that puzzle is to say that our Jesus literally still has a flesh and blood body right now. Once he got that in John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh. It will always be flesh forever from this point forward. Jesus is a man now. He's also God. He didn't quit being God, but he has a human body, body and spirit, both. He has those things, and he will forever have those things. And so if you think about how the Gospels end, what does Jesus do in them? He bodily ascends. That's the point. His body went to heaven. He's with us always because he's God, but his body's not here. So you're, so you're saying, I mean, technically, I mean, you're saying that there's not a Jesus body buried here somewhere. On earth. That's exactly what I'm saying. Jesus' body is still alive to this day with a heart that is beating. Presumably, I think he eats food, um, and he is in heaven right now. In a literal place that is also physical. We have a tendency to think of heaven as spiritual versus physical. That's not the distinction. It's heaven versus earth. Heaven can be <laughs> physical. We think about angels. Can they be physical beings? Actually, every time we see one, they are. You know, So heaven has physical things to it. There's a tabernacle in heaven. There's a holy of holies in, in heaven that's not made by us. It's made by God. Heaven is part of creation. It's tangible, real things. It's also spiritual. Jesus physically inhabits that place right now. Yeah, because when Peter and Mary went back to the tomb, their body was gone. Yeah. Their earthly, the fleshly body was gone. It, it, no longer there. Right. Because it had been glorified and it's with pride. Well, after he rose, but... No, before he ascended. Yeah, well, ascension and resurrection are different. So ascension <laughs> is when he came back to life. Sorry, resurrection is when he came back to life. Ascension is when he went back to heaven after the resurrection. 50 days. 50, yeah, 40th. Because in 50 it's Pentecost. Right. And he's already been gone. So. I guess my misunderstanding was the heaven part. Okay. Like, who, like, I don't, I guess this is kind of ignorant, but who's there now, like, currently, whether it's a physical place or spiritual, who's there? I mean, not the people who we have died, they're not there. Okay, I would say the spirits. So, so a human person is body and spirit. We would say we're two things. We're made of two things. The body is here in a tomb somewhere. But if you're a believer, your spirit is in heaven in some spiritual form. What does that look like? I have no idea. But that's where it is. And doctrine of resurrection is that when Jesus comes back, 
We'll do heaven here with bodies again, just like he has now. And this is basic Christianity. This isn't Baptist or Methodist or this is this is Christianity 101. Because he told the uh, he told the one uh, the guy on the cross he said today you will be with me. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. he's there, but his body isn't. Yeah. To be absent from the body. Yes, and spirit. Yeah, that's a fascinating topic. It's not technically the one we're on tonight, but it is a fascinating topic, um, which we actually get to. That's the fourth point of the four that I said we're doing in foundational beliefs. Bodily resurrection is point four. So, in three weeks, we'll cover that exact topic. More questions for that topic. Uh, yes, yeah, save them all up because we'll hit them all. That one time. So uh, there you go. And I can't believe you did this without kenosis. But you did. Well, technically, we weren't doing Christology tonight, though. So. But it explained a lot. Yeah. It would create a lot more questions. So we're going we're gonna to kill it right here. <laughs> and if anybody wants to hang around the board, I'm cool with that. But uh, for the sake of youth and all that, we will, we'll go ahead and kill it right here. Father, thank you for tonight. I pray you'd bless this conversation. I know it's been. Um, weighty and confusing, God, we want to understand you and worship you as you have revealed yourself, God. I pray that you would give us clarity of thought, that we would honor your word and be faithful to what it has taught us. Help us to read it with clarity, understand exactly what you want us to know about who you are and how you should be worshipped. So, Father, I pray that you would bless, and we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Have a good evening.